Joseph Carlson, and this is episode 101 of Gaming with Grief, and I'm calling this episode The Life of JWC, Uh, and then you'll find out pretty soon what that is, but let me do the intro first. So just to remind you guys, this podcast will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there, leave a comment, let me know what you think of the show, Uh, let me know how I can improve, things like that. Or you can go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast there. It is the Gaming with Grief podcast with Joseph Carlson. It's got a black background with smoke. Um, or you can find me at on the Google Play Store. So go there, subscribe to the podcast there. Uh, all episodes are up now. It seems like they're hitting a little bit faster than they were before. Uh, again, both those platforms, you know, leave me the subscribes, the likes, the stars, whatever you feel. Um, I'm not one of those people that pressures other people into, you know, if you, you think this show is only worth three stars, give me the three stars. Um, if you want to drop me a line, go to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. Uh, you can write me, let me know what you think of the show, uh, and that would be awesome. And I'm on Twitter at Just Little Joe. So go there. You can interact with me there. I'm getting a little better about, um, you know, basically promoting the show. So. Yeah, uh, this is episode 101, like I said before, and I'm calling it The Life of JWC, because that's my father's initials. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Jack William Carlson. Uh, He was born on June 1st, 1953. I know it was 53 and not 52, because my mom always made the joke that she was older than him, because she was born in November of 52. And I tried to say, my dad was born in 52, and she said, no, no. I'm older. He was born in 53. I was born in 52. So my father was born on June 1st, 1953. And um, I think early on, he seemed pretty happy and healthy. Uh, again, this, like I said in the last episode, this is the biography I think that I can glean from just spending a life with him and talking to him about you know, what it was like growing up. Uh, my grandmother, his mother... Mentally was not the best. She had a lot of mental problems. Apparently, um, her sister committed suicide when she was young. I want to say in the 20s. And this, I think, really affected her mental state. Uh, You know, back then, people didn't talk about therapy. They didn't talk about their feelings. You know, she worked on a farm. It was just, go back to work. Life sucks. Which, uh, you know, she's right. Uh, life does suck, but that doesn't mean uh, we shouldn't talk about how we feel and stuff like that. That's one thing I think is great about modern times. You can say, hey, I'm having a bad day. And it doesn't just mean like, oh, I have a flat tire. It could mean mentally I'm having a bad day. But uh, I think my dad was mostly healthy in his early life. Again, uh, my grandmother, his mother wasn't that stable. But even through that, the pictures I saw of him, he seemed to be very happy and smiling. Uh, He had a stutter when he was young, but that went away. I don't know. I think he mentioned one time he went to some classes where they did some exercises, but his stutter went away. And if he got really mad at me on job sites when I got older, he would look at me and say, did I stutter? And I don't know if that's, it was a joke or a poem or something that he heard before, or he came up with it, but I find it, I would just laugh because when I found out that he had a stutter and he would use that as an insult or a thing of anger, I just thought that was really weird. You know, um, 
I guess turning a negative into a positive. I don't know if there's any other way to uh, suss that. But anyway, uh, he also had braces. And this is a weird thing of how I know that he had braces, or at least a retainer. Uh, he had a retainer. And for some reason, I was going through some old photos with my grandma, when she, his mother, when she was alive. And we were talking about my dad, obviously. And she said, oh, I have some photos of him and stuff. And I was going through them. And, um, yeah, she kept his retainer from when he was, like, 10 or something. He was very young. And it was disgusting. It wasn't wrapped in anything. It was just in a box with photos. So my dad had a retainer. I can't believe I know that I know that. But here we are. It's not really that embarrassing that someone has a retainer. I think it's more of an indictment on her that she would keep a retainer in a box with photos. It's just really weird. Anyway, um, like I said, the early photos uh, were really good. Uh, his mother's name was Korma Jean. And I actually don't know her main name. So Korma's a very old name, especially in the States. I haven't heard anybody call it Korma in years. Uh, his father was uh, Earl uh, Jack Carlson. I think that's where he got his name, Jack, uh, because my, again, his mother would always call him Jackie, which drove him up the wall. He didn't like the Jackie thing. And to this day, um, well, I mean, before my father passed, I should say, he never called me Joey. He always called me Joe. And my mom said that specifically that's because his mother called him Jackie and his eye would start to twitch and he hated it. And so even at work, some people call me Joey, which is weird because because of this weird rule in my life, nobody's ever called me Joey. So I'm sure there's people out there that are just are fine with Joey. They're like, man, that's just my name. Me, I've just never been called it, so I just don't answer to it. Uh, anyway, back to my dad. So apparently he was pretty happy when he was young, from what I can tell. And early on, he said he did kind of excel in schoolwork. He actually liked, he was really good at math. Again, that was one of the things that my grandmother kept of his was some old homework and let me tell you guys uh as far as the modern education system goes we got the short end of the stick my father had to do tables and tables of math that was just so beyond anything that i could do i mean i'm not a math person but you can see the difficulty of equations you know like anything you could look at that and goes that is beyond me and there's a lot of stuff going on there and my dad had books of these which is something else that again his mother kept and I looked through them and and years when I was like 14 or 15 we were at a garage sale my dad and I and he bought a book like a little pocket book of equations for people and they were so difficult my dad said this is the kind of stuff I did when I was in school this is what was required of us you know and I showed him my homework from when I was in high school and he said I did this stuff in middle school and now you're doing it in high school huh um so yeah anyway he was really good at school uh but uh I think later on he said in high school he just kind of you know like the rest of us just messed about didn't really take anything serious in school and kind of fell off but he said he did learn some German because he for whatever reason, he said, it wasn't that I really wanted to learn German. I just met a teacher that was really passionate about German and passed that passion on to me. So when he was in high school, he actually picked up quite a bit of German. And even being older, he would tell me a couple of things in German. And I had some friends that spoke German in high school currently. And they're like, yeah, that checks out. I mean, his pronunciation's not right, but yeah, that's right. Uh, which is weird. And again, I told my dad, I'm like, did you ever go to Germany or want to go to 
Germany or anything? And he said, no, I just, you know, the teacher we met that I had back then was just cared about how you were doing and asked how, you know, really asked how you were doing it and, and, and wanted you to learn German and really cared about everybody. And uh, that kind of care rubbed off on my dad. So he knew some German. Uh, not much, though. Not like conversational. Just phrases here and there. But he was kind of proud that he remembered all that stuff from years. Um, when I bought my first guitar, he showed me a couple chords. And unfortunately, uh, the few times I remember my father when I was growing up, uh, most of his arm or part of his body was in a cast, uh, mostly his arms and hands, because he worked construction and uh, he would break something, uh, which was terrible. But when he showed me chords on the guitar, his hands were just beaten up and just smashed. And, uh, you know, he would fret like two strings when he went to fret one, uh, which I don't think is an experience. It was probably just him literally having his hand smashed and it being flattened. Um, so stuff like that, I remember. Uh, he did show me chords on guitar. He goes, it's pretty good for me remembering back in the day that I took, you know, three guitar lessons or whatever. And uh, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, he also loved loved music. Um, and one thing I'll say with him is when I was growing up, you know, we all get into bubbles. We all, all go through that discovery phase of, I'm going to listen to loud, obnoxious music. Um, maybe just to annoy my parents. Maybe you don't even like the music, but you want to listen to it because you're like, I really want to annoy my parents. They don't like uh, Tupac Shakur. I don't know if I like Tupac Shakur yet. I just think I'm going to listen to it because they're going to hate it. And uh, yeah, a lot of kids do that. I did not. My dad and my mother both loved classical music from Motown to like the Mamas and the Papas. Uh, there, you know, stuff like that. There, you know, all that kind of stuff was great. And there was a local radio station. That's all they played. Uh, they've since, I think, gone out of business and turned to a talk station, which is terrible. But um, my dad would play this stuff all the time. And my mom, too. And so I just, when all my kids, all the kids my age were listening to like Nirvana and Green Day, uh, that's my generation. Uh, I was listening to oldies. I was listening to Motown and stuff like that. And it wasn't until really going to high school and having friends that they were like, hey, you need to listen to this. And I got NWA's first album on tape. And let me tell you, uh, I don't really listen to rap a lot. But I remember listening to that in my room thinking, this sounds amazing. And I wasn't as articulate back then. I was more like, whoa. But let me just tell you guys something. Even if something's not in your genre or anything that you like, you can definitely appreciate it. And for me, that was a moment when I listened to NWA in my room going, this is amazing. This is next tier stuff. And I was still listening to NWA and oldies until my friends were like, you should try, you should uh, pick Green Day, you know? And I was listening to uh, like new R&B, um, Belle Bib DeVoe, stuff like that. And the station we had in our area would sneak in every once in a while a rock song. And I started to listen to rock more. And my dad really was like, hey, if you really like rock, you should really listen to the Beatles. You should listen to Led Zeppelin, you know? So like there was a big come up with my taste and his taste. And he would actually listen to new rock, like the Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana, and be like, these are actually really good songs. He even listened to Tool in the 90s and was like, I like this. This is pretty good. Uh, 
but I, in turn, bought him Sgt. Pepper's for his birthday in a CD player, and I took the CD player from him because I like Sgt. Pepper so much. Uh, and he just laughed because I was like, you know, I did buy this for you, and uh, now I'm just listening to it all the time. And he said, that's fine. It's good. And I got more Beatles albums. I listened to more Led Zeppelin. Uh, the library, when I was young, was amazing for... Uh, getting albums and I wouldn't burn it cause I didn't have a computer at the time, but I would just get the album, listen to it and give it back. Um, and then he would give me lists like, Oh yeah, try it. And, and he wasn't into, my dad wasn't really into albums. He was more into bands. Try Led Zeppelin. Um, try Creedence Clearwater. Um, you know, listen to the Beatles. Uh, he did know Sgt. Pepper's though, because that was kind of like a seminal album, you know? Um, so, uh, that, that was kind of like my early life with him was just listening to music and I started working with him, you know? Um, and then, uh, that's kind of going forward a little bit, but going back, he also had a problem with alcohol and, uh, he, in 1988, uh, decided to get sober. So I was eight years old. Uh, and I remember it was April of 88 that he decided to get sober. Uh, because they give you chips in Alcoholics Anonymous. By the way, this stuff coming up, uh, there is some kind of there is kind of unspoken rules in Alcoholics Anonymous that you know to stay out of res- uh, press, radio, and film. Um, and that is true. But uh, I'm not gonna like ruin anybody's stories. I'm just telling my father's story and what I saw with him with alcohol. I'm not going to tell anybody's stories because I have been to meetings with him. You know, I went to a lot of meetings with him. I read the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Um, and it is very serious when people are talking about very terrible things in their life that they're trying to get over. So I read the big book in preparation for this. And I'm going to read sections of the big book because I think it encapsulated a lot of my father's philosophy as he got older and also allowed him to be alive because, as I said in the last episode, I was going to talk about what was coming up that. You know, I did ask him, did you ever have this rock bottom moment where you said, you know, I need to quit drinking? And he said it was just more of an impending sense of doom that I wasn't going to be around uh, much longer. So in preparation uh, for this episode, um, I read uh, We Agnostics, which is basically a chapter written by uh, people uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous because they basically tell you that you have to admit there is a God. And the We Agnostic chapter deals with this by saying, listen, we understand a lot of you people are agnostic. You don't believe in God. You don't know how you fit in the universe. But you have to understand that there is something more powerful out there than you, or at least give yourself up to that, to be humbled enough to stop drinking. And uh, I read We Agnostics, How It Works, and I read A Surgeon's Story. uh, I think it was called Physician Heal Thyself. And uh, I read a small chapter called uh, Spiritual uh, Experience, which they talk about early on. Some people say they have a spiritual experience to stop drinking. And this two-page section in the back just says, I think in a way it says, to paraphrase it, listen, it was a little overblown. Uh, We People... Again, like my my father is a good example. They said some people just real, start realizing this stuff kind of in the background, and they realize that they need to stop or change their ways. And um, 
you know, like I mentioned before, this book, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, has a lot of things in it that you're just like, oh my God, like this is just a good, uh, this is just a good part of life. Like, this is amazing. Like, I can take this into any kind of, you know, like, I don't know, any situation, and it would be helpful. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read the beginning of how it works for Alcoholics Anonymous. And hopefully in sharing that with you, uh, you guys will see what I'm talking about. That, um, you know, these things in these books are uh, good. And that they can help you in books. So I'm just going to read. This is how it works. And you actually have to read this. I'm only going to read uh, the first couple of pages because it goes on and on. But you have to read this. And when you go to a meeting, everybody sits down. And once you figure out who's going to chair the meeting and everybody has coffee and all that stuff, you read this. And so this isn't really telling anybody's story. But this is basically setting the groundwork for a lot of AA meetings. So it, this is in Chapter 5 of the big book. And it's just called How It Works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way. What we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you decided that you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted to ourselves, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of characters. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. And the page stuck. 12. (laughs) Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to the alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, What an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. These principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make make clear three pertinent ideas. That we were alcoholic and could not manage our lives that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, that God could and would if he were sought. So it goes on and on past that. But there's so many nuggets in there that I have read and reread. I was in meetings with my father, and they allowed me to read how it works. I don't know if allowed, but they just saw that it was with my dad. That is laminated in every meeting we went to, and you had to read that. They also have the, the 12. I just read the 12 steps. There's the 12 traditions, which is... Not clerical stuff, but like, I don't, I didn't read those and I didn't purchase those, uh, but it's a different set of 12 steps. And that's one of them that says, you know, we stay out of press, radio, or film. I think early on I was talking to my father about it. You know, a lot of people, when alcoholism and Alcoholics Anonymous started up, you know, they just thought that you were, oh, you're weak. You have a weak constitution. That's why you're drinking. And through the work with Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean, one of them was a doctor that helped write this, um, the the big book. They realized that it wasn't a weakness in character. You weren't weak or strong. It was a disease like uh, chickenpox or um, the flu. Uh, I don't know. Those are bad examples. But the idea was that, listen, you need help for this, and it's not something that's going to go away in a day. It's a process. Just like that line in there that says, you know, as long you know, I just forgot it, even though I just read it. But it's the idea that if you're thorough and you, you really focus on these things, you can change your life. Oh, that's what, that's what the line one it was. We are more interested in spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. And I think I've been reflecting on that a lot lately because, I mean, just reading the news and seeing the state of the world, sometimes things seem hopeless. And I've just come to the realization that, I mean, if we're not just trying to be better people, spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection, what is the point, right? Uh, I like to treat people with kindness and respect and talk to them and, uh, you know, just be a generally, try to be a good person, not because I want some eternal reward. I don't really know how I feel about God and things like that, but um it's just the idea of if we're not here to be better people and treat people with respect, what is the point? What is the fucking point? That's right, I'm cursing. <laughs> What's the fucking point if we're not going to be better people? There, there's no point if we're just going to sit around here and make everybody's life worse and just be miserable to each other. There's no point. There's no point at all, you know? So, there's again, there's so many things in there I want to pull out. But the idea that, like, and I've talked about it. Um, before, and the idea is that uh, therapy helped me be a better person. The idea that you know, 
I needed to come to a place too to say, I can't do this anymore. I, I mean, I've mentioned it several times on the podcast, but the idea that what had happened to me with grief, that I was just totally fine with everything and could deal with it again, I, I couldn't anymore. And so, uh, my, you know, when my wife asked, like, do you want to go see a therapist? I did. Um, because I, I had that dread, uh, that my dad had, and it wasn't with alcohol. It was just emotionally, I was shutting down and it was the idea of, I I can't do this anymore. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't do it alone. I guess I had a spiritual awakening in a way. Um, you know, that idea that you need to be honest with yourself too in there. The idea of like, be honest with yourself. Do you have it under control? Oh, you don't. You know, uh, then you need to figure that out. Because to be honest with yourself and admit that you need help is a massive, a massive, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a humbling to say, oh man, you know, I, I screwed this up. I did it. Uh, I did a bad way. Um, and, and this really guided my father, you know, from 1988 to, uh, um, you know, until he passed away. Uh, the last chip I remember, I mean, if I can do math right, you know, he, the last chip that I remember he got was, uh, I don't know if he got one in 2018. He, he had some friends in Eastern Washington. I, I'm in Washington state we're in Western Washington, but my dad had friends in Eastern Washington and there was, a the meeting that he went to over there, it was like a lot of old men, probably women too, but there was, it was one of those things where they would go to meetings all the time and th- those people had been sober for years. I remember my dad said, man, there's, it's like 200 years of sobriety in that room, you know, like everybody there, I mean, they're, they're elderly, they're in their 80s, 70s and 80s, and so a lot of them have been sober for 30 or 40 years, you know, and they're still going to meetings because, again, it, for me, looking from the outside, it's the humbling of oneself to say, today's a shaky day. I don't have it. I don't, I don't got it together. I think I need to go to a meeting because I need to be around people that realize that, you know, <laughs> they don't got it together either. And it's, it's okay to admit that, you know. It's, um, and, and, and that's, for me, that was one thing that still to this day surprises me about Alcoholics Anonymous. It is the daily reflection of, uh, you know, if, as they say, if you're working a program and working with people and again, being honest with yourself and saying, today's shaky and I know it could be a bad day. So I need it to be a good day. I need to go to a meeting. I mean, whatever, if you're in a meeting, again, this is me looking from the outside, but if you're there and you, you, uh, you know, think that, then go to a meeting. Um, actually, one thing that I should talk about is, um, I'm trying to think here. There is a, I should just give you the number. I think it's in here in the back of the, if you type in alcoholicsanonymous.com to the web, there's resources there. Uh, there's resources with therapy. Remember, I've talked about several times. It is okay to not be okay. Um, NAMI is the organization. Uh, the it's like the National Organization of Mental Health or something, but basically it's like it, their slogan is it, it's okay to not be okay. And I think uh, I think people 
dealing with addiction definitely know that. And I think the rest of us need to know that. We need to figure that out because it's, um, you know, a lot of people put on a lot of facade. Anyway, getting back to my father. So so the, the AA thing really um, just, you know, that's kind of what he lived his life with. His friends were in AA. It was like getting a second family. You know, you, oh, I saw this person at the meeting. I saw this person. They're all great. I had to make a lot of coffee. I remember my whole younger childhood was just learning how to make coffee in different coffee pots. Like we'd have to go to a different meeting hall. He thought, I don't know. I remember thinking, like, what? How bad is the coffee here, and why does it smell this bad? Because I didn't drink coffee at the time, but also they bought cheap coffee because they're just going through it like crazy. It was almost like they were getting transfusions of black coffee, and they had the powdered creamer that I've seen people in YouTube videos catch on fire. That doesn't seem healthy. I get really messed up when people give me powdered creamer. I'm like, really? No half and half? We couldn't. I mean, half and half is what? Like three dollars at the store? Do you want me to go to the store? I'll get the half and half. It's the, 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 Here's the thing that killed me. There was one hall we went to that was next to a convenience store, like in the same complex. And I understand, uh, you know, they're self-sustaining through their own outside contributions that, uh, you know, people, they have a donation jar just like church because they have to keep, you know, coffee and things. But like, guys, just if someone right now if I, because I, I do know a few people that are still recovering. Um, I haven't talked in a long time, but if they called and they said, Joe, I haven't talked in a while, I'm like, wow. And we would catch up. And if they said to me, Joe, we're about to chair a meeting, but we have no creamer. I'm like, what kind of creamer does everybody want? Because there's no way, like, I would go get the best coffee. Like, if you guys are going to talk about the worst times in your life, do you want Folgers? I mean, I'm not sponsored by Folgers. And, I'm probably never going to be sponsored by Folgers, but I mean, have some dignity, people. You've been through a lot. I've heard some terrible things in that meeting, and you go with the powdered creamer? I mean, at least, at least. I mean, maybe that's just a generational thing. You know, maybe people back then were just like, oh, this Folgers is fine because there's nothing else. Whatever you're going to say about Starbucks, the one thing they've taught us is, hey, guys, there's different coffee out there. We should have different coffee. Um, I'm sure if someone's listening to this uh, that's in recovery, uh, if anybody's listening to this, uh, the two people, that three people listen to this, um, just have some more self-respect. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not disparaging your life. You're obviously there working the steps, doing the program. But man, woman, whoever it is, I don't want to gender you being serious. Get some good coffee. It's worth it. Stop smoking because that's, that's not good either. Uh, and get some good coffee. This has been the Coffee Talk, the podcast within a podcast. I this again. This is a memory of my father. Is just going to different meetings and making coffee. And let me tell you something: all those coffee pots were made. Must have been the first coffee pot that rolled off the assembly line because those things were ragged. They made a lot of coffee, and uh, they made a lot of bad coffee. And you would think this is a lot of coffee, but. Um, you know, it was not a lot of coffee because everybody is eating the coffee like crazy. So you just endlessly make pots. I felt like a waiter, you know, and there was no tip. There's no tip. Um, but anyway, so the idea that, um, you know, the, the, the AA really focused my father's life uh, into a large part of it. And it, 
made him who he was. So um, it's how I remember growing up, and those values were passed on to me. Um, you know, I've since taken a drink. You know, I drink alcohol. I'm very lucky because that was another thing my father said is like, hey, you could have the bug where you don't know what's going on and you wake up and it's, you know, things aren't going great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was, it was weird. It was, it was, I, I, you know, I, I drink alcohol. I've been hung over all that kind of stuff. And I'm lucky that I didn't, I didn't get the thing. I didn't get the whatever, but I always think about it. Uh, cause I did talk to my therapist about it. Like, you know, how many beers is okay? And then part of me was like, why am I asking this question? That's not good. And I just talked to him about my day and everything. And he said, I think you're just incredibly depressed. And it's the whole thing of me shutting down. Uh, you know, I just shut down a lot when all this happened with grief. And then in general, I just get moods where I just shut down. Like, why talk to anybody? You know, that was one thing that the meetings made important for my dad. You know, got to go to a meeting. Someone's going to talk to me. I got to get out of it. You know, I got to get out of this headspace. He talked about it all the time. I'm in this headspace. It's just not, you know, it's not right. And he, he lived it, you know. And, uh, again, I was blown away that he was, um, not sober for so long, but, but it guided him through the rest of his life. You know, and he, as he got older, as I got older, he got proud because I decided to go to college, which was a big deal. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was the only time later in life that I saw him cry is because he was so proud of me for graduating college, getting through high school, He was there through the worst times in high school when they screwed up my credits. And they said, oh, you got to do another year. And he was there when I was really upset about that because obviously you put all this time and energy in it. And somebody says, hey, why don't you do a little bit more? And my dad basically uh, got really mad and was like, we need to talk to them about this. Um, so we did, and he was there for that. And he taught me probably the, one of the biggest lessons of my whole life was when I was in college, I was having problems with... Uh, I was a dumb kid. I was 20 years old. I was having a problem with this professor. Uh, and it just bugged me. And my dad was like, are you all right? Because I was, you know, it's like one of those things where you're, you sound like Yosemite Sam, that you're just walking through the house just ranting. And I remember this professor just really bugged me. And I said, you know, I'm just Yosemite Sam ranting through the house, well, the apartment. And my dad said, listen, you can't, like, you can't do anything about that guy. You know, he sounds like a jerk. And uh, pick your battles. You know, is this, is this the guy that you want to go after? This guy. You know, the guy that wrote the same review of everybody's journal that we had to turn in, our dream journal. He'd write the same thing. Go to the store and get a, go to the clue store and buy a clue. He wrote that in like four people's journals. So even his critiques, he didn't have any new material. He would just write that. What a guy. Anyway, uh, I was just mad. My dad said, what do you do? Pick your battles. Is this, is this the person you want to go after? No. This isn't the guy. This isn't the person you want to go after. Go after yourself. You know, what is it about this guy that makes you so mad? Maybe you got some work to do. And that blew me away. Because when you're young, it's always somebody else. It's always somebody else. It's not you. I'm a 20-year-old guy. I got, I got the whole world in front of me. You know, can't possibly be me. I can't be messed up. And my dad did give this example. I don't know if it was from AA or life, but he said, I kind of realized like, you know, towards the end of his drinking, the only thing that was the same about every situation was him. He's like, yeah, I'd go to a different city or something. Uh, He always lived in Washington, but he goes, I go to a different city and then stuff started to go south again. 
and again. And then you go to the other city and it start to go south again. And he thought, I think he said it was later through Alcoholics Anonymous, he had this epiphany where he was like, oh, wow, it's me. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not Seattle. It's not Tacoma. It's me. It's not this town. Uh, and that was when he, uh, you know, that was the kind of stuff he taught me. And I think about that stuff now. And, and I'll be honest, I, I wasn't dreading uh, doing this episode. I, I want to talk about my dad. But, you know, before this episode, I talked about, you know, writing a different eulogy or, you know, somehow writing something else or making good. Um, and not making perfect, again, spiritual progress, not spiritual per- perfection. But I've really been sitting at home, uh, not drinking, but basically putting a YouTube fireplace on, really relaxing 4K fireplace on a TV, turning the volume up <laughs> in a surround sound system so I can hear the crackling of the, the digital oak logs and really uh, thinking about my dad and, and these things that he taught me and, and what it means uh, when that's gone, but maybe not gone, you know, because I remember these things. And uh, somebody years ago said to me, they were atheist. And uh, they said, you know, I always hear Christians talk about legacy, like, oh, you know, in heaven, we'll have a legacy and this will have a legacy. And he's like, why, you know, or we get to go to heaven. He goes, why does it matter? After I pass away, why, why do I need to keep, keep doing this? This is ridiculous. Your legacy is the stories you leave behind in your kids. He goes, I have two kids. This friend of mine was telling me a story. I have two kids, and that's my legacy. And even if, you know, he was talking generally, he's like, if, even if the kids aren't really around, you know, I have stories. I have things that have happened. Uh, I've made people, you know, I've made people laugh. You know, it's... I don't have kids, but I think about I, I think about that conversation a lot about yeah, when, like we all have a legacy. Like even this, like this podcast right now, it's there's three people listening right now, uh, but it's on the web, and I got to a hundred episodes, and this is the hundred and first episode, and it's, um, you know, there's a legacy of this. People can go back and look, and uh, the one person I know that listens to this actually gave me compliments. It's like, hey, you know, you the podcast has come a long way and you've, uh, you know, the, the audio is better. And I just bought a $20 boom arm and a better mic. And, uh, it, it, it's all that kind of stuff. Spiritual progress guys, not spiritual perfection. Um, but yeah, my dad, you know, started, uh, he was in construction and to hear him tell the story of how he got to do certain jobs was he really just followed friends around as they needed help in various jobs. Uh, one friend of his was working on roads, like paving roads and putting in sewer systems for roads. Those big concrete pipes you see that go on city crews and stuff. Yeah, a friend of my dad's called and said, hey, I need help uh, on this crew. Can you help me out? My dad did that for years. Um, then he started working with um, his cousin, John Kelly, who passed away, uh, I think, two years ago. And John... Uh, and I've said it before, I think I said it on this podcast, and I just want to publicly say it again, John Kelly allowed my father a respite and a place to live when he decided to get sober. I remember being young and living in uh, John Kelly's uh, um, garage with the waterbed. 
Uh, and again, it was my dad's cousin. And they were close in like a quiet way. Um, and I actually don't, I'm terrible with like family trees and things, but they were cousins. And John was just like my dad, except without the alcoholism. He was a hardworking guy, pretty much did whatever they wanted. And he got my dad a job with the local garbage company. But the garbage company also had a maintenance wing and they had properties. And so my dad learned how to fix stuff and worked with uh, John. John was actually very good at electrical. And my dad picked up electrical from him and did electrical. I remember later on when my dad was in business for himself, uh, well, before jumping ahead, um, yeah, my dad decided to go in business for himself. I guess spoilers for what I just said, but he worked for the maintenance company doing rentals and stuff, and he got sick of them in the office just telling him how efficient he was every day. You know, he's like, when you do remodels, and especially these old homes and rentals, like you'd open a panel box or open the crawl space thing or open up a wall to do wiring and it's a remodel it's old things are destroyed there's rats in there like it's gross and you'd be like well this is going to take another two hours and you'd work and then you go back to the office and they're like wow you only got x amount done today and he's like yeah there was rats trying to eat me while i was plumbing under the house it was kind of hard i didn't get anything and i remember he told me he decided to go in business for himself, basically doing what he did, but on his own. And he just decided, he told me, I can't have someone else tell me my worth anymore. I can't have someone else tell me how good I am at something. It has to be for me. And I remember later on when he was in work for himself, by the way, his business, uh, his name was Jack. His business was called Jack of All Trades, which I think is great. When he started out, he had business cards, but then later on he abandoned them because it was really word of mouth oh, you did this, you know, especially he got works in um, gated communities and stuff, and that is a big deal. So you do one fence or one kitchen remodel, and you start talking to your neighbors, and they're like, oh, man, I got this thing. You know, my water heater isn't working right. Hey, call Jack. Jack would get that. Oh, do the water heater? Hey, do you do tile? Yeah, I do do tile. Hey, cool, we want some tile in our bathroom, and then they'd start talking to their neighbors. That's how my dad got a lot of his work. People just talk to each other, word of mouth. I asked him one time. He got a lot of cards and handed them out early on, I think the first year. And they were like really simple affairs, like the days, anyway. And I remember when he ran out of cards, I was like, do you need to make more cards? He's like, I got so much work now. I don't want to, I don't want to tell anybody uh, that, you know, that I, <laughs> I have a license to do this stuff. I'm, I'm working seven days a week now. I don't need to tell anybody else I need, uh, I need uh, more work. So, uh, yeah, that's what he did. But later on, going back to John Kelly, uh, I keep saying, I should just call him John. I don't know why I keep saying his full name. But when my dad went and uh, he was doing a big electrical thing, and my dad said, this was an old barn. Like the, He goes, I actually got hired. He got hired through his old company that he worked for. Uh, they didn't have people that were skilled enough. And John worked for them still. My dad went off on his own and had his own business, and John still worked for this company. And... Uh, they kind of helped each other. And then my dad, again, was doing a job. He helped John. And then my dad was doing a job. It was like an old building or something. And the electrical, my dad said, I know electrical, but I don't know electrical like John knows electrical. And so he said this thing was like a rat's nest of old wiring and knob and tube. Uh, it was just all old. And it looked like someone like me who knows nothing about wiring wired it. So he called John and John, ever vigilant, showed up, looked in and said, yeah, 
you got yourself a problem here. <laughs> and they went through and diagnosed it. And I, for some reason, I remember the day. This just sticks out so much. My dad came back to the apartment, the duplex we lived in, uh, with just a big grin on his face, laughing. And John followed him home uh, for whatever reason, because John lived nearby. And they were just laughing. And uh, I had been working that day, but I came over. It was just like we all kind of ended up in the same place together. It's my memory serves. And I was like, hey, John, how's it going? He's like, good, Joe, how you doing, you know? We talked for a bit, and then John's like, I got to take off. So he left. My dad still had a big grin on his face. I said, what? what's going on? He goes, John knows his stuff. And he goes, we just made each other laugh the whole time because what we're about to do is, uh, you know, it's crazy. Like this, this wiring project is nuts, but you could see the wheels turn in my dad's head. He had a big passion for it. And the fact that he could call in a uh, family that he cared about to do that was great. Those are the moments I remember of my dad, you know, um, and then always working. Uh, he did threaten one time that I wasn't his son. That was a big refrain through my life. You're not my son. And I was like, really? And then I said, <laughs> I came back with the joke of, well, we're still going to go to lunch, right? Because you've still been offering to pay for lunch. And that seems like a pretty big thing you're leaving on the table. And I'm still going to continue to take out the lunch. And then, and then he made a joke. <laughs> Years later, he goes, you're not my son. And then he got really quiet for a second. He goes, what if you weren't? And uh, I have pictures of my father where people are like, wow, you guys look like twins. So th there's no way that somebody would be like, oh, you guys aren't related. But uh, he did ask that in all seriousness. He goes, well, what would happen? What would happen if you weren't my son? Do you think anything would change? And I said, well, I mean, again, if you're going to offer the meals, like the dinners and the, the lunch, I mean, we're like my dad didn't really cook a lot. Let's be honest. Um, he used to have a keychain that said, my only domestic quality is I live in a house. I want that keychain back. Uh, it's a good keychain. But he would go to restaurants a lot and he'd be like, hey, you want to go to dinner? And when I went to college and I had no money, he's like, listen, I, I can't, uh, I can't pay college, you know? He co-signed on the loans, but he's like, I can't pay, like, give you cash, but what if I give you food? And I was like, that is always welcome. So it was those times of, you know, I don't believe in God or anything, whether it be kismet or what, but you'd be broke and I'd be almost out of rice. And I'm like, here we go. Time to tighten the belt. And he'd call and be like, hey, you want to go to dinner? And I'd be like, oh, yes, I do. And that's when we would talk and laugh. And um, <laughs> years before I started working out on my own, uh, I told him, you know, he was teaching me the trade. He was teaching me how to do these things, how to work on things with my hand, teaching me about tools. And I said, man, I can't. Maybe it was some of his spirit of, I can't just work under someone's thumb all day. I, I can't. I think he was a little depressed because I said, you know, I like to write and I was writing and uh, I said, I, I don't, I don't want to bust my knuckles uh, under a house. It wasn't that I felt that I was below it. I've never thought that with work. You know, you get in the ditch, you dig, you got to dig, uh, you dig. But it wasn't something where I felt um, above it at all. I just felt like I wanted to do more than just that because I think there is a misconception and I did until I started working around a bunch of people and learning about just people that you think. You think one thing like, oh, you're just someone who does this or just someone who does that. You know, my, my dad had passions as well that didn't involve construction, you know. He loved to read and uh, he loved talking about ideas and more spirituality rather than religion, politics, 
as he got older, he got very, uh, I don't know if he got more conservative, but with the rise of Fox News, he was able to listen to that stuff. But I think at the, even towards the end, when we vehemently disagreed on what, was, what Rush Limbaugh was saying on that stuff, there was a weird safety uh, in my father to kind of stop and think for a little bit and goes, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that, you know, they got it figured out either. And I remember him sharing with me, uh, somebody called Rush Limbaugh years ago, uh, and basically said, you know, you tell us all the time that the liberal media is biased and that we only get one side of the story, but now you're doing that too. And my dad said, it really blew me away that someone called him on, you know, this crap that he's talking about. And, uh, yeah. Uh, for all the weird stuff he read about conspiracy theories and stuff like that, which he did read, he did stop and think about it and say, huh, I, uh, you know, and Lewis Black has got a lot of good jokes about how there's no conspiracy theory. Like I'm paraphrasing, uh, Lewis Black, but the idea that like they didn't know when the threat level for the terrorist thing was up and they had to make a chart and it was different colored and they didn't know what to make the threat level. And he's like, these are the people that you think have this massive conspiracy. Uh, you know, it, it, it's crazy. It's, it's nuts. And uh, my dad did have a moment of contemplation where he was like, you know what? Yeah, this is kind of bullshit. You know, this is not, these people don't have it. Uh, but he kept reading stuff like that. So I guess that's bad. I don't know. I don't think he totally went. And, and one thing I will say for him is he doesn't know how to type or he didn't know how to type. And so he couldn't use a computer. So luckily, his mind wasn't poisoned by the internet to think certain things about certain people in certain places. So, yay? Um, yeah. So that was my dad. He was a hardworking guy that did a lot of stuff. And I found out at the funeral, he did stuff for free because people were handicapped and needed a handicap ramp. And he he went to California and like built a handicap ramp. You know, uh, he had a friend June. Her husband was sick. He was in um, New Mexico somewhere uh, at a hospital that could help him. And he passed. And uh, June's husband passed. And um, my dad went and picked June up. And they drove back to Washington to her place. Uh, he was that kind of person. He's like, oh, yeah, you need to come back home from New Like, how many people of you were like, if your friend's called and like, hey, I'm like four states away. Could you come get me and then drive me home? Ha. Huh. A lot of people were like, could you get an Uber? Or like a plane. My dad's like, sure, we'll drive for 20 hours straight or whatever he drove for. Because that was one thing my dad always did say that he loved driving. Because he said most people zone out, but I kind of focus in. And he goes, it's quiet, especially on long road trips where it's just you and the open road looking at everything. He said, it sounds kind of dumb, but that's how it was. Uh, and that was my dad. Um, quick aside, not even an aside, but when I was doing uh reading the big book looking over listening to the last episode or the first the second episode when i talked about my father i went to the edwards memorial uh whatever and i think i mentioned last episode his picture was upside down so uh of course it just has to be slightly off right and i was really upset it was late at night when i was looking at that and it really upset me saying that for some reason it's like, god they said they were gonna get it right they didn't get it right but I'm kind of proud that it's upside down now. It's just slightly off. He's smiling, uh, but it's a frown. Uh, so that was a bad joke. But um, it's got to be slightly off with him. And so 
you know what, Dad? You were a great person. And as my friend told me very wisely said, you know, I don't totally know who you were, uh, you know, in your younger life, but I knew who you became. And uh, I was dealing with stuff with like, who is my dad? All this kind of stuff, you know, especially when someone passed away, you try to pick up the pieces. And I told my friend that I'm like, well, what, what about this little thing that I read on a scrap of paper that, you know, and what about this person that he got in a fight with 10 years ago? Like, what does all that mean? And, you know, I was grieved. My friend said, listen, you don't know who he was. Uh, you know, you don't know who he was when he was young, but you know who he uh, became, you know, the man he became. And I think that's, uh, that's the most powerful thing about my father. You know, spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. He was the first one to be like, oh, man, I screwed this one up big time, you know, had a bad day. Uh, that was another thing he loved about... Um, you know, working for himself where uh, I told my wife, like, I have a job right now. The next job I get, I want to be my own boss in whatever capacity because I'm writing more with the podcast. The idea is, hey, um, I don't want someone to tell me my worth again. And, you know, my dad would say if he had a bad day, he can go home. And he said, it's so powerful to just be like, I'm going home. You know, the delivery is late with the materials. Uh, you know, my truck has a flat tire. Uh, I blew up an air compressor plugging it in, um, and, you know, the saw won't start, even though I plugged it in, checked all the outlets, checked all the breakers. This sucks. I'm going home. I haven't been sleeping well. I'm going to go sleep, you know? Th this is what I'm doing. And I think <laughs> that is very powerful. Um, anyway, this has been me eulogizing my father. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, this isn't about making everything perfect with my dad, but just trying to make it better, uh, at least his eulogy, and to talk a little bit about his life. And I don't think I've ever sat down and just gone by a somewhat chronological order of his life. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for this week, guys. So to remind you, uh, this podcast will hit my website, www.gamewithgrief.com, uh, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there, leave a comment. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Or you can go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast there, leave me stars and likes and things like that. I'm also on the Google Play Store. So if you have an Android device, you can go there, subscribe to the podcast there. Uh, also, you can drop me a line at gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. Go there, let me know what you think of the show. Or uh, you can find me on Twitter at JustLittleJoe. Go there and um, yeah, same thing. Just uh, interact with me. Let me know what you think of the show, stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's it, guys. Uh, you know what? Have a good week. Be safe. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, quick aside, I'm one shot down. Yeah, I got one shot of the vaccine. So I just have to wait a few weeks, and then I get the next shot, and then I'm vaccinated. So anyway, you guys have a safe week. Everybody be safe out there, uh, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.